Also, we're going to have Sean preach for us this morning, which is awesome. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a vulnerable thing for anybody to step into. And that's just, I mean, I'll keep announcing this, keep saying this, but, you know, our conviction is that the teaching of the local church um, is it's the elders' responsibility to protect, uh, mm-hmm. and you'll most often hear from elders. But we think it's crucial, actually, that gifted men and women have, have opportunities outside of that elder team to come and bring, bring the word to you guys here on Sundays. And so uh, I think we'd, we'd had Ian back in the digital days who was, <laughs> actually, he's now on staff at Door of Hope Southeast, if you didn't know that. That's really cool. Uh, but he was one who was not on staff, not an elder or whatever, who had taught. But Sean will be the second. And we hope there are many others because we know there are many of you that are gifted at this in this community and we need mm-hmm. your voices. Um, so let this be a, a reminder of that goal as well. Um, yeah. And you'll see as we jump into this passage of Mark, it was just, it was perfect for this mm-hmm. particular Sunday. So yeah. Sean, thank you for being willing yeah, to, to teach us this morning. I'm excited yeah. to learn from you, yeah. my friend. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Appreciate it. Well, it really is an, an honor to be here opening up the scriptures with you this morning. Uh, I've been a student of the scriptures for, for a number of years, over a decade now, and I always think it is a real privilege that we have the scriptures in our own language, that we can read from openly, and I just want to acknowledge that um, before we start. Um, so if you have your Bibles, feel free to open up to Mark chapter 6. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 13. He, being Jesus, called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, then you leave. Shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So, first off, this is my first time ever teaching from the pulpit. This is a a real privilege, but it's also a real humbling experience. Uh, There is weight to opening up God's Word, and I've definitely felt that for the last month as Cam had asked me to to share this teaching. I've been rolling over the scriptures and revising all of my wording and everything else. Uh, I tend to be somebody who's very verbose and long-winded, so I had to kind of write out everything so that I can kind of be a little bit more succinct and to the point for y'all. I am used to teaching, though, with kids. And generally, I'm wearing Middle Eastern garb and doing all sorts of voices and characters to get the kids excited in in the scriptures. Um, So I want to apologize up front. As entertaining as that sounds, I will not be wearing any any turbans or kufiyas or douche dashes today. And uh, yes, that may not be as comical for you, but uh, I just hope that this is 
something that really blesses you as I have been blessed by studying the scriptures. So, as Cam said, I've spent a number of years in the Middle East. Uh, I have Middle Eastern heritage. I have affinity for Middle Eastern culture. And not only um, was the Middle East a place of oral tradition during Jesus' time, but it still is today. Within many cultural groups and ethnic groups within the Middle East, there is still this, uh, this desire to want to repeat these stories and, and pass on these traditions through oral tradition. Um, kind of taking that into consideration, I'm going to take a technique that they use, which is repetition, both of myself and for yourselves, so that hopefully the scripture can kind of sit with you and marinate. Um, so for context of this passage, we have to look back. We have to go to the Old Testament and look at what God's whole plan was from the beginning. He intended, as he brought the 12 tribes out of Egypt from slavery, his intention was to make them a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, that they would be interceders on God's behalf to the nations, to the world. But they were afraid. It says in Deuteronomy that the elders and the people of Israel were afraid and elected Moses to be the one to go up and intercede for them. Now, in this passage, we see that Jesus is sending the twelve, just like the twelve tribes of Israel, to go and prepare the way for him. He is inviting them to go and invite others into this kingdom. But Israel refused that task, and it's now up to Jesus to send the twelve in the place of the tribes of Israel. Rather than being a kingdom of priests that blessed the nations uh, and was an interceder between God and man, they became a nation with priests that became self-focused and insular. So, as we have been going through the Gospel of Mark, we've seen that Jesus has been inviting people into this new kingdom. We see that he has been baptized, he has been tempted by the accuser, he's begun proclaiming the good news, he's called the twelve, he's performed miracles, he's healed the sick, he's calmed the storm, he's challenged religious leaders, he's cast out demons, and he's raised the dead. Now, if you recall, some of these same things that Jesus already has begun doing, he's now calling the twelve to do. It says that they were sent out. And go to the next slide. As we look at this next passage, um, uh, as we look at this passage, what are phrases that stand out to you? This is where I'm going to call for audience participation, like working in the kids' ministry. 
I know that your number one answer is going to be Jesus. But I'm going to ask, what phrases stand out to you in this passage? You can just shout them out as you see them. Anything stand out to you? Jesus. Jesus, yes. He gave them authority over unclean spirits. Anything else? No bag, no money, no bread, no extra clothes. The 12, yep. In partners. Anything else? Demons, okay. Yeah. A little risque, a little uh, charismatic, right? <laughs> to go and proclaim. Good. Any other thing? There's, I think there's really one more thing that we're missing, and it's less of a phrase and more of an idea. What? Oh, they used oil? Okay. That is something that's in here, but that wasn't what I was looking for. Okay. Okay. There's, there's an idea if you want to go to the next slide. So, we see in verse 7 that Jesus sent the twelve two by two. He empowered them with authority over unclean spirits and illnesses. He told them to take nothing with them. No bread, no bag, no money, no extra clothes. He instructed them to receive hospitality and remain until they left. They were to go and proclaim repentance and invite people into the kingdom. And they anointed the sick and healed people. The version in the Gospel of Matthew says that they also raised the dead. Again, going back to that first review of Mark to this point, a lot of these things that they were asked to do, Jesus was the precursor. He was the one who already did them and invited them into this kingdom and gave them the same commission. So, I think that as we look at this, we have to stop and, and first remember something about the disciples. They were this ragtag group, and as Cam pointed out a couple of weeks ago, there were fishermen, there were brothers, there, were, uh, there was a zealot, somebody who was a religious um, person who wanted to overthrow Rome, and there was a tax collector. This group of people were not going to be unified and together if it wasn't for Jesus. And here, Jesus is sending them out in pairs, probably to test them. This was a trial run because in a few years, Jesus was going to go to the cross. He was going to leave them. Jesus says that he wasn't going to leave them alone. He was going to empower them with his spirit. Just the same spirit that he gave them. But that spirit 
that event was a test. Jesus gave them this opportunity to go out as a trial run for the future because pretty soon they were going to be the leaders of the church. They were going to be the ones who were going and proclaiming this good news and they were going to be raising up other leaders to do the same. So before we get into the the points and the observations that I make, I think there's one more thing that we have to consider. And that's the fact that this text, it can be easy to, to overlook it. It can be easy to breeze by it in our scripture reading, to feel like, oh yeah, we know, he sent him out. Okay, great. But this obscure and sometimes even outlandish passage that it says that they were casting out demons, that they were healing the sick, that they were raising the dead. That's something that the gospel writers recount in three out of the four gospels. Do you think that the church just thought it, saw it as, a, as just a story to pass over, as something to just throw by the wayside and, and just forget about? This was extremely important to the early church. This was somewhat pivotal for the twelve. This was their first sending out, this first test. And so rather than just breeze over it and go to the point of, oh, door of hope sending me out, so just like the twelve, I'm being sent out, and here's all about me, let's actually stop for a second and look at the text and hopefully that can bless us and encourage us to go out. So the first observation that I see in this text is that Jesus didn't send the twelve all to the same location but he gave them the same commission and he empowered them with the same spirit. I think the first point that we can draw from this is that Jesus didn't want to send them out in isolation. The twelve weren't to go and to preach and to heal miracles all by themselves. There was a purpose. There was an intention. And he wanted them to go and not necessarily have to deal with attackers. On the roads, as they're traveling from place to place, from village to village, it's easy for attackers to take on one person. But when you got two, it's a little harder to surprise the group. As well, I think we have to remember, just like Jesus was tempted in the desert because he was alone, Jesus didn't want them to have that same temptation and be all by themselves without the aid of a brother to help them. I think another thing that we see is that Jesus wanted to avoid the the pitfalls or the challenges of group dynamics. Who uh, loved doing group projects in high school or college? No one? (laughs) Alexander? And I know why Alexander loved those projects, because I'm sure he was one of the studious ones, the academic ones. Um, And 
The challenge is, is that when you bring people together, there are inevitably going to be people who lead, and there are inevitably going to be people that follow. There is inherent value in both. Don't hear me wrong. There is inherent value in both. But God asks us to to all participate. It's easy to fall into the temptation when you're in a large group to have that one person who's studious, the one person who's dedicated, take charge while everybody else sits back and does nothing and gets the grade that this person put in the work for. Now, who has played on a sports team before? All right, there's a number of y'all in here. And if any of you know, if you watch sports or played sports, team sports require everybody to have a role and everybody to participate. Imagine you're, you're watching the Oregon Ducks play. The game was on Friday night, and I was watching it as I was or hearing the radio on a layover from being in the Middle East. And it was somewhat disappointing. It wasn't the best game. But imagine that the, the linemen are just standing there. They don't get set. The quarterback takes the, the ball, and the linemen aren't doing anything. The other team bulldozes over them, sacks the QB. Or imagine that you're playing soccer, football as the rest of the world calls it, and your goalkeeper is picking daisies on the grass. Do you think that you're going to be okay with that? In a group project, it's easy to kind of let that one person lead. But even the best shooter in the NBA, Steph Curry, go Warriors, the best shooter the game has ever seen, he passes. He moves that ball around. He doesn't hold on to it and play one on five, although he can. He is a good basketball player. Um, so the point being is that we are not called to sit on the sidelines. The, the 12 were not called to sit by themselves. They each were sent out, were empowered, and they had a role to play, and they couldn't just sit back and let everybody else do the work because they were sent out in pairs. The second point is that Jesus asked the 12 to trust the Father to provide for their most essential needs. He told them to take no food, no bag, no money, no extra clothes. In so doing, Jesus challenged their idea of needlessness. In Matthew, it even says that Jesus called them not to receive any payment. I don't think Jesus' point was that a worker is not worthy of his wages. In fact, in another passage, Jesus talks all about that. But I think rather... Jesus' point is that when a need arose while they were going out, he wanted them to be dependent on the Father. 
and not to look to their own pockets for whatever they had to provide. This is a real challenge for us in the West. I mean, we, we've been raised with the idea of pick yourself up from your bootstraps and let nobody else, you know, cover for you. Or We're so independent that we think that I am the one who is earning this money. I am the one who's providing clothes for myself. I, I, I. But here, Jesus is asking them something completely different. And in fact, going further back to the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus was teaching them about how to pray, there's a particular phrase that I love in the Arabic version of the Our Father to translate it. Uh, and we'll, we'll see that translation at the end here. But the phrase that we say in English is, give us this day our daily bread. I, I feel like it kind of misses the point. It feels like we're asking God for the day, and then we just tag on bread at the end. But in the Arabic, one of the possible translations would be, the bread of our need give us today. The bread of our need give us today. It, 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 it harkens back to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, the, the 12 tribes. And what did God send down from the heavens? He sent manna. He gave them this thing that has no name. Nobody knows what it is. That's what the name means. But this thing came down from heaven, and every morning they would go and collect it. And it says that those who had much had none left over. And those who gathered little had no need. In fact, they weren't to keep this manna because it would go bad. It would rot real quickly. And if they tried to store it up, their house would be overrun with all sorts of maggots and, and all sorts of disease. I think that we, like Israel, have to trust God for the provision that he gives us. And it is a, a place of humility for the, for the 12 and for us that we have to depend on God as we go to those we serve. And in this case, Jesus is asking the 12 to receive that provision from those that they are serving. And that leads to the last point that I see in the scriptures. And that is, Jesus calls the 12 to deeply invest in the community, to proclaim the good news, and to meet tangible needs. Now we could spend a whole sermon talking about the difference between proclamation and good works, social justice and evangelism. But rather than focusing on that, I want to really draw our attention to, I think, Jesus' heart here. I think one is that we can easily, the human heart is easily tempted to do the checklist, to say, what are the religious things that I need to do? And I'll just do them, and I'll meet them. When Jesus was talking with the rich young ruler, he said, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? 
Jesus asked him, or he recited all these commands. Oh, I've done them all. Jesus tells him, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. It challenged him so much that it said he walked away sad. We also see that when a scribe, a lawyer, came to Jesus and said, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus told him to love the Lord your God and to uh, also love his neighbor. And his response was, well, who's my neighbor? Okay, give me the list of people who are my neighbors. I'll do that and be fine. And he tells them the parable of the Good Samaritan, which we all probably know or have heard variations of it along the way. But it was challenging because it was the religious leaders who weren't actually caring for this individual. In fact, when Josh Wilder came to visit me um, overseas, we went to this place, the old road from Jerusalem to Jericho. And on that path, it's an, it's an old donkey path of sorts. It's, it's narrower than the, the, the passage uh, up to the stage here. It's probably about the length of a chair. And it says that these religious leaders avoided caring for this individual on the other side. And this isn't like crossing over, over Fremont here to the other side. They literally would have had to climb over boulders. Oh, sorry. They would have had to climb over boulders and actually get out of the way to avoid him. I think Jesus is asking the 12 to not keep the people that they're serving at arm's length, but rather to depend on those that they're going to serve, to receive their hospitality and what they, they provide for them. It says in another translation that they were to eat what was put in front of them. And if everybody has been in another culture, or if anybody goes and they're not a vegetarian or a vegan, and somebody says that they're going to give you the head of a goat, take them up on it. It is the best meat that you'll ever have. But this dependence doesn't always have to be staying at somebody's home. It can be going and learning another language. It can be immersing yourself in somebody's other culture. And just as I was saying about goat's head, it could be eating the food that they set in front of you. Now, I recently heard a story of a Christian NGO working in the Middle East. They were working in Mosul. They're one of the few organizations that has been given access to go to Mosul, which is the former capital of ISIS. This is a, a, a city that is largely Muslim, although it has had a Christian presence. And this very evangelistic, very outwardly Christian organization has been given access to Mosul. The reason being 
is that because they have invested so much into people's lives and cared so much for the city that I heard a story of a Muslim man who was talking about what had happened to his leg. And he said, the Muslims have done this to my leg, but the kafar, the infidels, they healed me. So, I want to be a kafar like them. I want to be an infidel like them. Imagine that. Imagine that. This Muslim man was attacked by Muslims he receives love and, and medical care from Christians, and he says, I want to be like them. Now, I will contrast that with another story of another Christian organization working in Beirut. And people from this organization will go out at night and they would walk up to men in cafes and would just say, hey, I'm Fred, or whatever person's name is. I'm an American. Jesus loves you. And then they walked away. Which of these two versions, these two stories, do you think had a greater impact in the community? We are to be sent out not only to proclaim, but to do good works. I mean, it, it even says in, in, at the end of the Gospel of Luke that when Cleopas and his companion were walking on the road to Emmaus and Jesus comes alongside them, they say, are you the only one from Jerusalem who has not heard about this prophet mighty in scripture knowledge and, and, uh, and studying God's word? No, the phrase was mighty in works and in word, in deed and in word. They go hand in hand. And Jesus is, is sending the 12 out in the same way. So, on this side of the cross, Jesus sends us to be witnesses in the world and to bring healing to the nations. Just like the twelve, Jesus commissions us to go to various places and empowers us with that same exact spirit that he gave the disciples. Now, whether you believe in miracles or believe in healing, or believe in raising the dead, I can tell you that the same exact spirit has been given to us. I could tell you a story of a moment where some friends and I anointed somebody who was sick, and a tumor the size of a golf ball was removed from their liver. Not, I don't know if it was instant, instantaneous, but the CAT scans and the the imaging that they took afterwards showed that it was gone. I could tell you a story of a kid falling out of a second-story window and had no broken bone in his body. Like, 
just in- incredible. God has done miracles, and it's not about me. I'm not telling these stories to make myself great. In fact, Jesus warns against that. He tells the 12 that when they came back, um, actually it was the sending of the 72, they come back and they say, Jesus, look, the demons listened to us and they were cast out. Oh my goodness. Jesus says, don't rejoice in this fact. Rejoice that your names are written in the kingdom of heaven. It's about God. It's about his story, his glory. And we know that there are many cases where we ask for healing and that doesn't come. We ask for God to do miracles and they don't come. But we should have hope and faith that they will. Jesus asked us, like the twelve, to depend on the Father to provide for our basic needs. And like the twelve, Jesus calls us to meet tangible needs in the community and to invite others into this kingdom. That's our commission. That's what we're being asked to do. But there is one temptation. I think I want to ask and pose this question to you as I've thought about it myself, is are we at risk of the same apathy and isolation as Israel? We're no better than them. We're humans. And are we going to let the illusion of safety and protection prevent us from living out God, what God has called the whole church to do, each one of us to do, you individually and me, the leadership of the church and the whole body. I know for myself that I frankly can be like the the priests and the Levites who would rather not risk anything or pay any cost in order to, to, to serve the most needy. I know that I can let the opinions of other people prevent me from actually stepping out in faith and following what God has because I'm afraid of what they're going to think or how they're going to judge me. And I know I can very easily let comfort lead me to complacency and indifference. But I want to contrast that with the Afghani church. It's been in the news. Y'all have known that the Taliban has taken control of ISIS, of, of, of Afghanistan. And in so doing, it's left a choice to, pe- to believers well, are they going to escape to the West? Are they going to flee and, and save themselves or not? And there are Afghan believers that in their own words want to remain in the, the land of their birth so that the light of the gospel would not be ext- extinguished in their homeland.
that the darkness would not overtake that country. That is extremely challenging. Extremely challenging to me. But much like our Afghan brothers and sisters, we too must heed the call of Christ to be salt and light to the nations. Even if it costs us. Even if it demands much from us. Even if it means we lay down our lives. So as I conclude, may we allow the Spirit of God to fill us with all love that overflows into compassion, mercy, service, and self-denial for the sake of others. May we depend on on the Father to provide for our daily needs as we walk by the Spirit. And may the grace of God drive us push us, lead us to deeply invest in the lives of others and invite them into the kingdom of God. I mean...